Welcome to the preaching podcast of Poplar Springs Baptist Church in Hiram, Georgia, and the preaching ministry of our senior pastor, Wayne Meadows. It is our desire that the message you hear today would call you to a closer walk with Jesus Christ, and that your life would give glory to God as you apply the biblical truths proclaimed. For more information about the ministry of Poplar Springs Baptist Church, check us out on the web, www.psbchurch.net. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the preaching of God's Word. If you have a Bible with you this morning, open it with me to Psalm 145. Psalm 145. We'll suspend our study through the Gospel of Mark. Lord willing, we'll pick it back up next Sunday, but today I want us to zero in on our theme for Vacation Bible School. I'm excited about VBS this week. I get excited about Vacation Bible School every year, and that's not just because of all the fun that will be had. It's not simply because of the buzz that Vacation Bible School creates or uh, even the games and the activities that the children will be participating in, but I'm excited because of the truth that we get to explore this year. These next few evenings, as we gather for Vacation Bible School, we'll have the opportunity to share with children about the monumental greatness of God. That's our theme, the monumental greatness of God. And there really is no greater topic that we could consider. I want you to hear the words of A.W. Tozier, Some of you are familiar with his writings. Some of you maybe have even used some of his works as devotional uh, resources in your time alone in the Word and with God. But he writes in uh, his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, I think one of the greatest things that we could consider. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And he's absolutely right. The most important thought that you and I will ever think will be that which we think of God. Tozier continues on and he says, Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his heart, what he in his deep heart, conceives God to be like. Think about that for just a moment. The most important thing about you today is not what you may say, nor is it even what you may do as an individual, but what you conceive God to be like. Tozier continues on, he says, We tend, by a secret law of the soul, to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that composes the church. What he means by that is that if we're not bound to Scripture, we will create a God of our own imagination. We will come to desire and to worship and to move toward a God of our own mind. He concludes, always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God, just as her most significant message is what she says about him or leaves unsaid. 
for her silence is often more eloquent than her speech. Tozier wrote those words several decades ago, but they're just as relevant for our day now. For many of us, we struggle with our thoughts about God. We struggle that our thoughts about God are far too small. Our aim during this vacation Bible school, and my hope from Psalm 145 this morning, is that we will once again be confronted by the greatness of God. That our thought concerning God today will become greater perhaps than it ever has. To say it another way, it's my prayer this morning, and it's my prayer for Vacation Bible School, that all will be gripped by the greatness of God. And Psalm 145 is a perfect place in the Word of God to consider His greatness. In Psalm 145, David is writing and telling us very simply, God is great. God is great. If you have your Bibles open, I want you to follow along as I read and hear the Word of God today. Psalm 145, a song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Would you pray with me once more? Our great God and King, we thank you today for this, your holy word. 
And I pray that your spirit would open our eyes, that we would see our ears, that we may hear, that he would work in our hearts, that they would be soft to receive what your word says to us today. And Father, I pray your word would go out in demonstration and power of your spirit. Lord, that we may once more be gripped again by your greatness. For there is no God like our God. And we ask for these things, we pray for them now in the great name above every other. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Psalm 145 is such a fitting text for us this morning as we began vacation Bible school and the theme of God's monumental greatness. It's clear that that's the theme of the psalm. But also within Psalm 145, we hear David, its author, commanding and exhorting us as one generation to communicate the greatness of God to a coming generation. And that's really what is happening in Vacation Bible School this week. We are one generation teaching and preaching and proclaiming to a coming generation that our God is great. And the greatness of God is something that must always grip our hearts. Should we turn today our backs to the greatness of God, we would then instead fall in love with the shadows of the world. The options are before us. We can incline our hearts and our lives to a great God, a God who is greater. We can follow after the things of this world that are simply fleeting and passing. Psalm 145 calls us over and over again to remember God is great. I've mentioned already that David is its author, and David was one whose life was caught up in the greatness of God. He simply couldn't escape God's greatness. Psalm 145 is the last of the psalms that were penned by David in the Psalter. So in essence, what we have here are David's final words in the psalm. And it's fitting that he should turn his attention to God's greatness. It seemed that when David was coming to his end, when his days were few upon the earth, he began to think on and consider and meditate on the greatness of God, perhaps even more than he ever did before. And the shirts that the VBS workers are wearing this week, uh, they have upon them First uh, Chronicles 29, 11. And in 1 Chronicles 29, we have there the final words of David, the, the final prayer of David. And there in 1 Chronicles 29, 11, as David kind of begins his prayer, this is what he says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness. With his final breaths, David was still captured by the reality that God is great. And it's David's desire in Psalm 145 and my desire as well that you too would be captured by God's greatness. David went to some extremes to ensure that that would be the case here in Psalm 145. Not only is it the last psalm of David, but Psalm 145 is also the last of the acrostic psalms in the Psalter. Now, an acrostic psalm was penned in a very deliberate way. These are the psalms that were penned according to the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And here, in Psalm 145, centered around the greatness of God, David gives us an acrostic. 
what he does is take the beginning of each verse and align it with the Hebrew alphabet. So basically, you're going from A to B to C to D, except in the Hebrew language. Now, why would David do that? Why would David write this final psalm about the greatness of God in an acrostic fashion? Because he wanted it to be memorable. We, we use those mnemonic devices, we use those acrostic devices to help us to hold on to material that we deem to be memorable or important. And so David writes Psalm 145 in this fashion because he is writing about the greatest topic that could be considered. And David is telling us in his arrangement of this psalm that you need to remember God is great. You must not forget how great God is. For if we turn our backs on the greatness of God, we'll fall in love with the shadows of this world. So David here in Psalm 145 is extolling to us over and over and over again how great God is. Now, this morning it would be tempting to give us 22 points because of the 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, but I don't think that would be wise. I don't think we could get through 22 points, and I don't think you would write down all 22 of them. So instead of 22 points about God's greatness, I think what we see in Psalm 145 are six themes that David kind of brings to the surface that will show us God's greatness. Six themes, if you will, that kind of gush forth in Psalm 145 surrounding the greatness of God. So I'm going to give those to you this morning. Six themes of God's greatness in Psalm 145. Number one, his great person. His great person. These are the three verses that open the psalm and set the stage for where David is going to go in the psalm. And what better place to begin than thinking about how great God is. You see, God doesn't just do great things. We'll see that in a moment. But God is great in who he is. It's not just what he does, but who he is. And David simply cannot get away from that. He begins the psalm by saying, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I'm going to bless you and praise your name forever and ever. And great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. David is just centering himself upon the person of God and how great he is. And in doing that, David brings three names or three titles of God to the surface here that kind of capture his greatness in his being. First of all, in the beginning of verse 1, he says, I will extol you, my God. My God. When David uses the, the title there of God, he's referencing the majesty that God possesses. He and he alone is God, and there is none other that is like him. There is no one that can compare to the God that David knows. He is his God. But then he immediately adds to that, that you are not only my God, but you're also my king. He says, I will extol you, my God and king. Think about this for just a moment. Remember who David is. David is the king of Israel. But yet here he is penning Psalm 145, and he is acknowledging that there is a king that is greater than he. He is confessing there is a king who is higher than he. 
He is confessing that God is king over all. He is sovereign over all of heaven and over all of earth. He is extolling the greatness of God as king over everyone. His great person. He's God. He's king. And then in verse 3, David uses another name, if you will, for God. He says in verse 3, at the beginning of the verse, Great is the Lord. So David has extolled the greatness of God in his majesty and his sovereignty, and now he extols the greatness of God as Lord in his fidelity. That is that he is faithful. You notice there in verse 3 that when David says, great is the Lord, the word Lord there is printed in all capital letters. That's not a typo in your translation or in your Bible. That's because David is using the covenantal name of God. He's using the name that God gave to himself when he spoke to Moses in Exodus 3. Moses had given, been given the command, go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses said, Lord, who am I going to tell them? Sent me. And there the Lord gave Moses his name. I am who I am. Yahweh, the, the tetragrammaton, the four Hebrew consonants, which we render as Lord in all caps. It's the covenantal name of God, displaying his faithfulness to his people. David said, this is who our God is, and this is his greatness in his person. He is majestic. He is sovereign. He is faithful. He's great. And David says his greatness is unsearchable. Now what does he mean by that? Well, David does not mean that his greatness can't be known. Obviously, that's what Psalm 145 is about. about. If his greatness can't be known, uh, we're really wasting our time at Vacation Bible School this week trying to teach kids about the greatness of God. And I'm wasting our time this morning trying to preach you a sermon about God is great. So David does not mean that his greatness can't be known, but rather what David is implying is that his greatness can't be exhausted. There is no end to the greatness that God possesses. When we look at the athletes in our culture today, these great baseball players and basketball players and football players, we look at them and we think, man, look how great they are. They can throw a ball incredibly hard. They can hit a ball incredibly far. They can do great feats of athleticism. But you know something about every one of those great athletes? Their greatness comes to an end, doesn't it? There comes a day when that contract is not extended. There comes a day when they can't swing the bat, when they can't throw the ball, when they can't run as fast as they once could. Oh, they may be great for a moment. They may be great for a season. But their greatness has limits. It can be exhausted. But here, David says, our God is not like that. His greatness is unsearchable. It is is inexhaustible. It has no end. And David says, therefore, because his greatness is unsearchable, it should lead us to unending praise. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised because his greatness is unsearchable. Our God is great. And because he is great, we must praise him greatly. And praising God is not something that we will simply do in eternity, although that will certainly take place. And David captures that here in verse 1. He says, I will bless your name forever and ever. Verse 2, I will praise your name forever and ever. 
And we look forward to that day in heaven when we will join with the saints of all the ages and we will praise God forevermore. That's going to be glorious. That's going to be beyond our comprehension here and now. But what a great day that will be. But listen to what David says. David says we don't simply look forward to praising God then. We go about the business of praising him now. The greatness of God shapes our day, day after day. In verse 2, David says, every day I will bless you. Why? Because you're great. Listen to me this morning. There should never be a day in your life in which the greatness of God does not grip you and shape you. Every day, David says, I will praise you and bless your name because your greatness is unsearchable. David begins this psalm by reminding us of God's great person. But then secondly, I want you to see. He's great not only because of his person, he's great also because of his works. David mentions his great works. This is where he goes in verses 4 through 6. In verse 4, David says, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. And on the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. David here begins to speak about the work that our great God has done. And he speaks of two works, two considerations in relation to the great works of God. First, David draws our attention to the work of God in creation. This is what he means when in the beginning of verse 4, he says, one generation shall commend your works to another. That works there, I believe, is speaking and drawing our attention to, to how God worked in creation, how he spoke into nothing, everything that we now know and everything that now exists. Over and over again throughout Scripture, we're constantly reminded that our God is the Creator God. That He has made the heavens and the earth. In fact, when you go to Revelation chapter 4, where John is given a glimpse of the worship that's happening around the throne of God there in heaven, the song that they're singing says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive honor and glory and might and majesty. Why? Because you have created all things. Don't miss this. Our worship of God, our praise of God, is given first and foremost, not because he has saved us, but because he has created us. This is the reason every lost soul out there will one day stand before God. He has made them in his image and likeness, and as such, he is worthy of their worship. So creation around us calls us to the greatness of God and the worth that he possesses and the worship that he deserves. When we look at creation, we're reminded over and over again of just how great our God is. Isaiah chapter 40 is one of the greatest chapters of the Old Testament. If you're not familiar with Isaiah 40, I would encourage you to go home this afternoon And open your Bible and read Isaiah 40. The Lord speaks to his prophet, and Isaiah records the words, and he gives these words for Isaiah to speak to a people who have been sent into exile. They've disobeyed God, their iniquity has been great, 
And they're beginning to wonder and beginning to think, is God still for us? Is this ever going to work out? Is this ever going to end? And the Lord says to Isaiah, comfort, comfort my people. Give my people some hope. Give my people some encouragement. And Isaiah says, well, what do you want me to say? What encouragement can I give to them? Their iniquity is great. That's how Isaiah 40 opens. Your iniquity is great. And Isaiah says, what can I tell them? You ever felt like that about yourself? Man, I've messed up big time. My sin is great. I've really done it. There is no hope. What encouragement could there be for me? This is where the people of God were in Isaiah 40. And Isaiah says, what do you want me to cry to them? What do you want me to say to them? And the Lord gives Isaiah a word. And you know what that word is? I'm a great God. Listen to me this morning. You may have committed some great sins, and your sins may be great today, but I want you to know our God is greater. And in Isaiah 40, verse 12, this is what he says to Isaiah. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Do you not know? Do you not hear? Think about what he's saying. He says, look at the creation surrounding you. He says, you see the waters out there? The waters of the seas, the waters of the oceans. He says, for me, they were just held in the hollow of my hand. That's how great God is. He said, do you see the expanse of the heaven? You see how far the sky spreads? He says, I measured that with my hand. He says, the mountains that rise before you and all the dust of the earth. He says, I held that in a balance when I made it. Has it not been told from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Here we have God's perspective. We're given a glimpse through the eyes of God of what it is to look down upon his creation. He says it's like us standing over an anthill. Look at them. Scurrying about. Little bitty things. So small. He says we're like grasshoppers in his eyes. That's how great he is. Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in? To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him? Lift up your eyes on high and see. I love what the Lord does right there. He changes the direction of our eyes. He has us looking down like he's looking at grasshoppers. And now he says, okay, lift your head up and look at the stars. He's telling Isaiah, tell these people they can look high, they can look low, they can look right, they can look left. But everywhere they'll look in creation, they'll be reminded that I'm a great God. He says, look up, lift your eyes on high. Who created this host and calls them by name? By his greatness and in might, because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Do you realize today how vast our universe is? Do you you ever just stop and think about that for a moment? Now, we struggle sometimes where we're at because of all the lights that we now have, that when it gets dark, 
we can look up and we can see just a few stars. But you get away from the, the night lights, you get out to the countryside, you get out where there aren't street lights, and you get a clear night and you look up and you'll be mesmerized. You'll be blown away. I've often done that and I've often thought about what Abraham thought when he looked out at the stars and the promise that God gave him. But you realize that when you look up into the sky, that what you see is but a fraction of what it is. Scientists tell us today that the expanse of our universe measures, listen to this, 92 billion light years in diameter. That our universe today stretches for 92 billion light years. Now, we don't measure things in light years real often. So let me see if I can give us a metric that will maybe put some perspective on there for us. 92 billion light years translated into miles would equate to 5.408 times 10 raised to the 23rd power in miles. So if it's been a while since you've done exponents, just do it like this. Just take the number five and put you 23 zeros behind it, and that's how many miles the universe stretches in diameter. Your car is not going to make it. And God says, I, I measure that with my hand. His greatness is seen in His work of creation. His understanding in Isaiah 40, He says, is un searchable this is where david takes us we consider his works his great works especially in creation but he doesn't stop there because in the next part of verse 4 he says and we shall declare your mighty acts that language of mighty acts or might it repeats itself several times here in psalm 145 and that language takes us to the most monumental moment in all the old testament when the Bible speaks of God's mighty acts in the Old Testament, it is referencing us back to the Exodus event. That event when God's people who were held in bondage under Pharaoh in Egypt were delivered and brought out. And that event is a foreshadowing of what God does for his people in salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. So where do we see the, the greatness of God? We see it, yes, in creation all around us, but we see it even more so in the climax of salvation in Him giving His Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem and to rescue us from the bondage of sin. In His great work of salvation, we behold our great Savior, our great High Priest, who brings a great salvation, the Hebrew writer would say. And when we understand this, our hearts should be gripped again that yes, God is great. His great works. Number three, I want you to see his great goodness. David turns attention to his great goodness here in verse 7. He kind of comes back to it a little bit in, in verse 9, but David says, They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. 
David is saying here that that he hopes the coming generation will will be captured by the greatness of God and that will lead to them making known the goodness of God. God is good. His goodness is great. In fact, his goodness is extended to all. This is what David gets to in verse 9. He is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. Have you ever heard some people question the existence of God and even the goodness of God based upon the issue of evil? Well, if God is good and God is all-powerful, why does evil exist? Why do bad things happen? Why do hard times come? And I hate to raise a question that I'm not going to take the time to answer for you this morning, but just know that that's a question we all ask sometimes, and a lot of people who don't know God ask quite frequently. But the question that nobody does ask is about the problem of good. Everybody's quick to go to the problem of evil, but nobody wants to do anything with the problem of good. You say, well, preacher, what's the problem of good? Well, it's right here before us in verse 9. The Lord is good to all. Think about that for a moment. The Lord is good today to the profane, to the sinful, to the ungrateful, to the evil. He is good to them and that he has put breath in their lungs and the sun has shone down upon them in another day of life. He is good and that the, the benevolent blessings of God have been bestowed even upon them. He is good that they have been given a witness that when their eyes are lifted up, they can see how great God is through creation that surrounds them. He is good to all. And that means he's good to you today as well. Oh, let us be gripped by how great our God is by reminding ourselves that he is good. His goodness is on display in his righteousness, meaning that he is right in everything that he does I've told you before, and I'll remind you even even here this morning, that good is not a definition that resides outside of God. We oftentimes think that if this happens, that will be good, or if that happens, that will be good. And we understand what we're saying in that, but we take that same approach with God, that if God does this, it will be good. And if God does this, it will be good. Well, I, I, I hate to, well, I don't hate to, I'm going to. Whatever God does is good. God doesn't have to meet your standard or my standard for what he does to be good. Because he is a great God and he is good toward all and he is righteous in all of his ways, whatever he does is good. So we need to be reminded of his great goodness this morning. And then David continues on in number four. He tells us about in verses eight and nine of his great love. Verse 8, David says the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. This is one of the most important verses that you'll find in all of the Old Testament. It's reiterated over and over and over again. This is the display of God's faithfulness to his covenant people. He deals with them in grace and mercy. He's slow to anger and abounds in, in unceasing love for them. And the greatness of God's love has been displayed to us by giving His Son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave, He sent His one and only Son into this world that whoever would believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Our God is great and we know it because of His great love. 
Number five, we see here in Psalm 145 that his kingdom is great. His kingdom is great. Beginning in verse 10 and going through verse 13, David just gets caught up in thinking about the kingdom of God. In verse 10, he says, All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. He comes back to this kingdom idea in verse 12 and verse 13. He says, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Now think about this. This is David. This is the king who is writing this. But David says, you're a greater king. And your kingdom will not come to an end. It will last forever and ever. Just a few weeks ago, Across the pond, our British friends celebrated the Platinum Jubilee of Queen Elizabeth II. Some of y'all probably read some of those articles and saw some of the videos, all the pageantry that went along with that. 96 years old, she has set as the monarch over the United Kingdom now for the last 70 years. The longest reigning monarch in the history of the United Kingdom. 70 years. She's adored by so many, a display of faithfulness in a lot of ways. But in the midst of all the celebration and all the pageantry, there were a couple of articles that came out that rang a somber note. And they remarked that this very well may be, and possibly likely is, the last jubilee celebration of the reign of Queen Elizabeth II. The Jubilee is marked by every decade, every 10 years. And for 70 years, seven occasions, they've celebrated Jubilee. But the likelihood of her making it to 106 years of age and celebrating an 80th year? Not possible. Not probable. Her reign, her rule will come to an end. But David says here, we have a God we have a king whose rule is forever lasting to everlasting. It endures throughout all generations. It will never cease to be. You know what that brings? That brings comfort, stability, assurance, encouragement. That we know this great God who has a great kingdom and his kingdom will never be taken. His kingdom will never be shaken. Our God is great. And then David concludes here in Psalm 145 by capturing God's great faithfulness. God's great faithfulness. He starts at the end of verse 13 and works all the way through verse 20. He says, the Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. And he goes on to kind of highlight how that happens. Let me just, let me just give you a couple of things to think about here. First of all, his faithfulness is on display in that he keeps his promises this is verse 13. The Lord is faithful in all his words. The Lord had given David some promises, and David says, Lord, you've kept every single one of them. I want you to know that the word of God will never fail you. The promises of God always come to pass. He is a great God, and he has great faithfulness in keeping his word. David continues on in the verses 14 and 15. He says that God is faithful in giving provision. The Lord upholds all who are falling, raises up. All who are bowed down, the eyes of all look to him, and he gives them their food in due season. Verse 16, he opens his hand and satisfies the desire of every living 
thing. Oh, our God is faithful to provide for every need. Paul understood this. This is the reason he wrote in Philippians chapter 4, My God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. David says here, in verse 18 and 19, that God is faithful in answering our prayers. In verse 18, he says, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Verse 19, he fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Our God hears our prayers. Oh, I was reminded of this this past week, just as many of you were. Just yesterday, in fact, when the the news broke that the Supreme Court had overturned the decision in Roe versus Wade. How many prayers have we prayed? How long have we prayed? And we were reminded that the Lord hears the prayers of His people. He's near to all who call upon Him. He hears their cry and saves them. And then in verse 20, David says, The Lord is faithful. He's faithful to preserve. To preserve eternally. That His goodness, His greatness, His faithfulness, it doesn't end at death, but it stretches all the way into eternity. And it's here at the end of Psalm 145. Where David is again extolling the greatness of God that in his faithfulness we we see a clear turn to the gospel. That he was faithful to keep his word and send his son, to send a Christ, to send a Messiah, to send a Savior into this world. He keeps his promises and in that promise he is giving a provision. He is offering the sacrifice that was needed to deal with the sins of mankind. And the Lord is faithful to answer all who will call upon Him in prayer and save them. It's Paul who picks up the language of Psalm 145 in Romans where he says, the gospel is near to you, it's nigh even unto your mouth in Romans 10. What does he mean by that? He's saying all we've got to do is call. If we call upon His name, He will save us. He will hear our cry. And for those who are in Christ Jesus, they are preserved secure for all eternity oh that is our great god that is his great faithfulness to us in his son and david ends this wonderful psalm in verse 21 by simply saying my mouth will speak the praise of the lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever i wonder how great is god to you today How moved are you by the greatness of God? Or is the God of your mind a small and insignificant being? Is His greatness something that is shaping your every day? Is His greatness something that has shaped your eternity? Let's remember today, great is the Lord. Let's pray.